Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Mind Yourself podcast. As usual, it's me and Christy here, and uh, as we have been doing this season, we're continuing our conversation on stress. Um, for any of you who listened to our last chat, and um, when we were talking about stress and mental health, we looked into the kind of areas where stress directly impacts certain mental health illnesses and then we also kind of touched on before we finished up on how we would potentially address stress on a societal level maybe to improve the mental health of um, overall society but this week we want to have the conversation a little bit more about the individual and kind of focus on what are the different stress management techniques we can use to kind of manage our own stress individually and ourselves and we think it might be more relevant to you as listeners because you can actually take it on board and use it in your day-to-day life so just starting out, Christy, uh, do you want to kind of, you know, explain a little bit further around some of the research and um, information behind stress management uh, for individuals? Um, so I'll start this actually by putting a question back at you, um, okay. because you, of course, are a human. Um, so what do you do when you're feeling stressed? Um, personally, sometimes I go out for a run. Um, okay so we'll start with that so i'll explain um the benefits of exercise in relation to stress management okay um so this is quite straightforward so exercise is a form of stress so for example fight or flight the flight aspect is running away so going for a run or exercising um Mm. basically reduces the tension of the stress system it's a natural release of the stress response because like we said in the first um, podcast of this season, it's not about just turning off the stress response fully. It's about having a balance between that sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And mm-hmm. so exercise is a natural way basically to activate that sympathetic nervous system, but not overwhelm it. So it's stress because stress is a good thing. So you stress is this term of uh, like positive stress. We do need a certain amount of stress in our lives um to keep stimulated but just not too much and so exercise is a good way to do that but then as we mentioned in the uh section in the, um, the the child development podcast um you can overdo it so if you exercise too much you that is then chronic stress in a in a strange form because people think it's always beneficial but we can overdo it and particularly uh children going through puberty can overdo it as well so excessive exercise is kind of very much similar to the Ex- uh, chronic stress basically yeah. in, in other ways okay and so is that kind of like so when you're saying that it's like um taking the stress that you're that's building up inside you and directing it into a more beneficial form so yeah. taking that stress that might be building up because of work or something and then putting it into the form of exercising and then it almost kind of like the way sometimes when you're angry you know you see people go hit a punching bag or something is that like to sort of like redirect that energy building up inside you into a probably more practical or productive format yeah, and then that ties in perfectly um, because another good outlet for stress um, is having an outlet for frustration um, because lots of people will associate stress or an unhelpful stress management response would be uh, like punching a wall or something like that. Um, yeah. So this was actually first found in baboons. Um, if baboons, for example, are like lose a fight and they go down their hierarchy um, in their environment, uh obviously that causes a stress response like their glucosides will go up and what the research shows is when they beat up somebody who's subordinate to them so somebody lower down in the hierarchy that makes them feel better it's it is a good outlet for stress 
um and like this applies to humans as well like i don't know have you seen like they um touch on it in the tv show how i met your mother it's like the uh the circle of shouting um where boss shouts an employee employee comes back shouts at maybe uh, a child or um or a wife or a husband um and then they shout at the dog for example so this idea of like an out- outlet for frustration is a good stress management response but thankfully we're not in the situation where it has to be physical because humans are obviously more intelligent than primates so it's not mm. about taking so, yeah, it out like, physically you know, you're pissed off don't go around and punch your granny like just because you're pissed off one day like think of it more yes. practically doing it. yeah okay exactly interesting but no so i mean when it comes to some of these techniques is is the evidence behind this like deeply researched is it kind of like personal anecdotes kind of like obviously some of this stuff can fall into kind of anecdotal evidence or kind of like techniques that work for one person versus another like we've talked about how stress impacts people in different ways around stress management is it is it the same yeah so it's just mainly animal studies because it's unethical basically to um to purposefully stress a human so the majority of studies have either been done on rats or they've been done on baboons or um, like different types of monkeys. Um, that's mostly, okay. but the, the research definitely is there that they basically track their glucocorticoid levels um, and they either put them through with stress or purposefully or as they watch them in a natural um, environment and track their glucocorticoid levels and they can see the glucocorticoid levels going up and then going back down, for example. Okay, okay. So, I mean, outside of the kind of physical release of the tension um, and the exercise and things like that, what other kind of techniques, you know, potentially? Because obviously not everyone is going to be prepared to hop hop on a bike or go for a run. Is there other ways people can potentially manage their stress um, outside of exercise? So um, another obvious one is um, social support. So basically okay. having an outlet, being around um, family and friends, loved ones um like for example in my studies uh they found that they have less ulcers when they're purposefully being shocked if they have familiar faces around them um male baboons also with lots of friends also have lower levels of glucocorticoids and um this has also been found in human studies where higher social support leads to a lower stress response um but there is a caveat here it matters who the people are are like for example the research just about shows that being married leads to a lower stress response. Um, but you obviously have to be married to the right person because if you don't like the person you're married to, for example, um, a broken marriage stre- is going to lead to stress. Yeah. yeah, more stress, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And then on that topic, then what's also important alongside social support is also social affiliation. So being nice okay. to the people around you. Um, and this is uh, really really interestingly shown in baboon studies um because what happens is so when the baboon is like top of the hierarchy um and if they've got there by essentially like beating everybody up and getting to the top they're obviously not very liked among those lower than them and as they Mm -hmm. age then what ends up happening is they have a horrid time because as they go down the hierarchy they continuously get beaten up because obviously the other baboons remember uh, all those times oh, that right. he, they're like we're he getting back to you now now that yeah. you're not all strong anymore okay uh, at an older age then like those baboons like their glucocorticoid levels go up massively and sometimes they actually even leave their uh, family to go to another tribe or family and if you are an, at an old age joining a new tribe or family you're also going to get beaten up so it's actually like a horrible horrible time 
and this is more anecdotal but it can be applied to humans as well like there's that saying like be nice to everybody on your way up because when you're coming back down it's going to be um it'll be even mm. worse so this idea of basically being nice to others is not just part of this be kind movement it's actually good for our stress when we're nicer to people because the nicer we are to people in the present uh when we're in our prime it it's going to come back on us when we're older and is this around is this tied a little bit to the whole kind of gratitude and giving aspect when we also talk about um the five ways of well-being how you know you feel better when you're kind of being kinder to other people. Is that tied a little bit to the kind of reduces stress or is yeah, this like, kind of prepping you for future experiences that if you're nice to someone, they'll be nice to you back in the future and therefore less stress to deal with. With the research and the five ways of well-being, the, um, like the giving aspect, it's not, it's not acknowledged. Um, like stress isn't really acknowledged in relation to, but notice we're after mentioning exercise, social support, and giving already, which is three of the five ways of well-being. Yeah. Um, so, yes, they all tie because, as we spoke about in the last podcast, all of these um, factors, the psychological factors, the lifestyle things we do, are all tied into our biology as well and how it affects our stress response. Okay, interesting. So when it comes to kind of stress management, obviously we ourselves with motors and stuff we do a lot with the kids in the schools and you know we also do our webinars and seminars with adults is there different approaches to kind of stress management depending on whether it's a child um we've spoken about how stress impacts children stress management with children versus stress management with adults you know some of this stuff seems relevant that people can adopt but how then for parents potentially you know how do you deal with stress management with kids yeah um i think essentially it's the only the environment that changes over time but the actual stress management skills can be taught from a young age and can be applied throughout life um so like two internal ones now this is important because at the age of about 12 or 13 um children start developing their prefrontal cortex so they start having the ability to monitor their cognition so to think about their own thinking also known as metacognition Um, and this brings along new things like uh, predictability and control. And these are two really important factors. So I'll start with predictability. Um, yeah. Rat studies show that basically when they hear a bell before each shock, the ulcers that develop as a result of the uh, stress are reduced compared to rats who don't hear a bell before the shock. It's because they can predict basically that the shock or the bell means they're going to get shocked beforehand. So they prepare um, for it. Yeah, it's just better for them. Um, and another example for humans would be, let's say you're at the um, dentist or the doctor and you're going through a painful procedure and you ask the dentist or the doctor, like, how much do we have left? It's uh, your stress response will go down if the doctor or dentist says, um, oh, only two more times we have to do this compared to I'm not actually sure yet. Um, like, and this then ties in with how the stress response influences our objective and subjective pain perception. Like the pain is going to be a lot worse if the doctor or dentist says, I don't know how much we have left to do compared to if the dentist or doctor says, okay, only two left because you can tell yourself then, okay, there's only two. Once I get past this one, then I only have one after that. Um, and on a more societal level, this is was shown during world war two, uh, with the London bombings. Um, so during the London bombings, the bombings used to happen at the same time, um, Mm. compared to at the very start where they were completely random. Um, and when the stress responses of the people of London were measured, it showed that their stress response was lower 
when there was a predictability of when the bombings were going to happen compared to when there wasn't. Um, okay. And, and so predictability is a big, big factor. And I think it becomes more important as children age um, that they have more control over their environment um, as opposed to when they're younger. It doesn't matter as much because like the parents are generally um, the bosses. So we yeah. don't have to worry about predictability as much. And so it, it, it's basically the ability to be able to control and then ultimately feel prepared and almost self-manage the stress throughout the experience. So if you know there is a specific time frame to how the, how long the stressful experience will go through, um, you find it easier then to kind of get yourself through it because you're like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel rather than feeling like, you know, what's happening and I feel like I'm out of control, which adds on top of the stress to itself. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then in relation to control... Um, so again, looking at rat studies, um, if rats compress a lever to minimize the number of shocks they receive, their stress response goes down, uh, regardless of how powerful the shocks are. And this has been shown in humans when they are faced with a loud noise and they can press a button, uh, to stop the loud noises, they, uh, their stress response goes down. But what's really interesting here is that it's not even about like, sometimes the buttons don't even work. So it's not about actually having control. It's about a perception that you're in control um, that can reduce the stress response. Um, and then this, of course, then particularly for adults ties in with their job because the research has shown in occupational psychology that if you're in a high demand, low control job, you're going to have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and increased stress response. So what you want is to have high control in your job. Um, it's even a better indicator generally than uh, income. So, um, so you don't really want a low control job. That's very dangerous for your, uh, stress levels. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. I know why that, that, that just that whole idea of feeling like you're in control, but that all that reminded me of is the idea of the traffic, like, um, pedestrian light buttons. You know, like some people say they actually don't mm. do anything and the traffic stops anyway, but people still like the idea of being able to press a button. Yeah, um, exactly. Otherwise, you're standing waiting for the track to end, but you never know when it's going to happen. You're just waiting for the lights. You get agitated because you're trying to get somewhere, say. And I always mm. think it's nice to be able to press a button, even if it doesn't work, just to feel like you had some sort of input. Um, yeah. Um, but there, there are there are caveats, again, to these. Like, um, you could go into a few examples, such as, um, like, when there's a lack of warning, when you're given a warning of predictability, like, right before it's going to happen, that's not really going to help. Like, (laughs) um, or if there's, uh, when the information, when the warning you're given, uh, is really vague and it doesn't explain itself well, um, Mm. like that's not really making the situation more predictable and there's loads of stuff. It's uh, basically the point I'm making is it's not always straightforward, but generally when you have higher predictability and when you have a higher sense of control, um, that helps your stress response. Okay. It's like everything in uh mental health research which i'm starting to learn is nothing is as straightforward as it seems and even if some sort of process seems really nice and works really well it probably only work in certain scenarios so i'm I'm learning that that yeah there's not a one quick answer to everything so outside of predictability and control is there anything else that you know directly influences the stress response or the level of stress that we experience um yeah so there's then like um 
like people are probably sick of us talking about this but like the cbt aspect is like how we think about a situation yeah so there's a psychologist known as abrahamson who uh coined the term cognitive attributions so there's three of these there's um internal stable and global so when you look at a situation that's stressful and firstly mm-hmm. you you claim that it's internal rather than external so it's completely my fault rather than it's outside forces that's at fault yeah. If you see it as stable rather than unstable. So you said that it's going to be like this forever um, as mm. opposed to this is a once off situation. And then if it's global uh, rather than specific and what that means is basically, um, oh, like when you fail a test, I'm terrible at maths. Like it applies to every situation um, and not just the specific situation. So you apply it to other things as well. If you have these three cognitive attributions, your chances of developing depression from stressful situations increases. So it's internal, stable and global. So you want to kind of correct these thoughts and say, okay, well, it's not completely my fault. Uh, For example, I failed my test. Um, It could have been that the test was really hard or it could have been that um, that I just didn't study enough um, this time. It's stable rather than unstable. So it doesn't, this isn't going to happen all the time. It's a once off. And then you want it to be um, specific rather than global. This is a once off to this specific situation, but it doesn't apply to my other attributes. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) It's basically, it's basically, it's just an extension of uh, CBT, essentially. Um, like it's just basically those helpful thoughts rather than unhelpful thoughts, but it's another way to look at it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And so, so is that, so that's it. Is there a list? Like, I mean, how, how, how do like, I mean, I know you previously worked on things like anger management and things like that. And I'm sure some of these things get, you get, you know, some of these treatments are used maybe with certain people, but I mean, is there a booklet or not a booklet, but is there a list of different things that are, are used in each situation or is there certain types of treatment that work depending on the situation? Like, I mean, if someone depending on the stress or the source of the stress, what things work in certain scenarios? So, um, you mentioned the anger management aspects important because there is, there's a specific type of personality, which increases your risk of having a high stress response. And that's type a, which I'm sure lots of people have heard of. Yeah. So type A are the I never type knew of what that means though. So they're basically the type of people who want everything done very quickly. They're very all together, like need need things done like chop chop, all very, very fast and also very hostile. So essentially okay. wanting like um so hate when a meeting is delayed, for example, or hate when they have low stress tolerance. So when something doesn't go to plan that really bothers them. Uh, it increases their okay. stress response. Um, interestingly, this was actually found by a. I'm trying to remember the researcher's name. It's after going for me, but um, it was found by a neuroscientist. What is it? A neuroscientist. Uh, no, sorry, a cardiologist. Basically, they kept finding finding a consistency between. Um, kept finding a consistency between increased heart disease and the personalities of the people coming in and the way they discovered it was in their waiting room when there was longer wait times they actually found that the sides of the chairs in the waiting room were actually being tore up by fingernails and it was actually the person who does the upholstery discovered this like saying like what's wrong with your patients 
and they basically discovered that when uh when they had to wait longer they became very very like angry and aggressive about it and started taking it out on the chair and that's how they discovered the association now there's been loads of research done on this and it's kind of been it's not been proven wrong but the research behind that has become less strong over time that it's not so much the actual personality type in a whole but it's actually more so the um the specific hostility is the issue like being hostile increases your stress response which then increases your risk of cardiovascular disease um and then going back to then the stress management uh psychotherapy has been shown specifically to be successful for these people um like it's not that once you're born with this personality that's the way it is like you actually can improve but in relation to like a list or something there isn't but my advice is if you think you have a high stress response you can get benefit from psychotherapy massively okay interesting and i mean so basically it's the but the hostility that you mentioned so it's the hostility that increases the stress response that increases the risk of cardiovascular diseases and things like that that hostility is tied to that type a personality though yeah it is and how does um, someone know like how do, you know like is it that you know you're born and the baby gets a stamp saying this is a type a baby or like how, how does someone know they're a type a personality because i didn't even know what it actually specifically meant do you just have to be a bit more aware of your uh stress response and is that just is this that what we're asking people just be a little bit more conscious of your stress response and then you know how much how you know strong that stress response is if if you get a blood test, you can check the level of glucocorticoids in your blood. Um, but asking the question about the personality, uh, that's another like that's the huge, huge yeah. question in psychology of uh, like what is personality? Um, like it's been changed so much. Like aspects of personality, like is personality consistent throughout your lifetime, or can you change mm. it? Or like, how do you actually measure personality? Like, because somebody might uh, portray a personality on one day, and then the next day they might portray yeah. a different personality. Of course. So, of course. um, that's a huge question. Like, and it's it hasn't been answered yet, and I don't know yeah, no, it will be answered. I doubtful, doubtful. Yeah, and I just it's just because I find it interesting that um basically from the stress management perspective, obviously a lot of these things are relevant, but in a lot of cases it's also like try and be aware of your stress response and how strong it is or how you react mm. in certain scenarios. So by the side of the thing, it is a lot of it is around being more conscious of your own mind. I know we yeah. talk about the CBT aspect and trying to consider your emotions, think about how you're feeling. And that seems to be almost like, I know we don't want to kind of, you know, go over that too many times and kind of bore people, but it is kind of, the root to all this is just being a little bit more conscious of how you feel and how you react in certain scenarios to then kind of be able to judge kind of how, you know, in this case, because we're talking about stress, how strong a stress response is and then whether or not you need to be a bit more proactive with how you deal with it. There's um very exciting research at the moment uh, based on something known as, well, there's neurobiofeedback and there's biofeedback, which is essentially um being more aware or, um, or sometimes they'll use technology to track their, for example, heartbeat. And if their heartbeat is going up, then they can use techniques basically to reverse the effect and to reduce the biological impact. So mm. this is a big part of dialectical behavioral therapy. We've already talked about this, but like three examples for uh, would be when your body temperature. So obviously when your stress response goes up, your body temperature increases. So if you can basically put hands or put your hands or splash wa- uh, cold water on your face, it cools your body temperature, which then basically starts to biologically manage uh, the stress. 
or another example would be breathing because like we talked about earlier breathing uh, in is sympathetic nervous system breathing out is parasympathetic nervous system so basically by being more in control of your breathing this then um gives you a higher ability basically to control the bi- biological impact that lots of people would assume is unconscious and you can't control it but you can um this mm. is what this biofeedback showing um and then that ties in meditation that's why meditation can be beneficial is basically this biofeedback is when you're paying more attention to your breath like you said it's the awareness basically that starts to help then the management of it um mm. but one thing i will say about the meditation is be highly skeptical that because um i've often seen uh people making claims about meditation that uh it can completely control your stress response and um and i have heard and there there is videos if you look them up of monks who can like control their heartbeat with their meditation and stuff like that um i'm not saying it's not true but i just don't know it hasn't been officially researched um and the other caveat i will make uh about meditation too is there are certain meditations that have have research behind them but there are a lot that don't and sometimes they claim the research of other types of meditation um so just be weary uh of them claiming claiming it's research back doesn't always mean it is they're just claiming meditation in general is research back but the specific types matter okay interesting and i mean yeah because obviously like monk practicing monks who you know meditate a lot and have probably spent many many years perfecting the art of meditation and things like that is are hardly kind of representative of the average person and how Mm. effective meditation can be for them yeah exactly so i mean just maybe like changing gears a little bit because um to go into something slightly you know still on the kind of stress management level but um i know we've briefly spoken about it previously but i kind of want to go in a little bit more detail around some of the kind of self-stress management um, techniques we do that are not always good for you so i know that things like conditions like alcoholism and um eating disorders are sometimes in response to stress and people kind of take up these things in response to stress in their lives to deal with the stress you know what would you say about that and like how you know the research behind that and stress management in those in those areas because i know things like people you, know, you always say like having a stress of time people you know fall to the bottle and they hit 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 the hit the alcohol like you know what's the kind of research behind that and how that can be addressed yeah so um before i address alcohol i think it's important to note as well um the relationship between coping and emotion regulation um because these for some unknown reason the research has always divided the two of these um, stress management and emotion regulation when generally negative emotions are stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a direct relationship between them. So the difference between coping and emotion regulation is coping is how we manage stress and in the literature and emotion regulation is how we regulate emotions. But they're starting to integrate the two of them together now in research, which I think is important. Now, the reason why I'm highlighting this is because specifically with addiction, like there's primarily the research with addiction is on emotion regulation that people who aren't able to successfully regulate their emotions uh, are more prone to become addicted to um, addictive substances Um, Mm -hmm. but this is very relevant to stress as well um, because there's a direct relationship between stress and addiction Um, 
so I'm not going to go massively into it because you won't understand what yeah. I'm talking about. Um, but basically, the thing that makes like heroin addictive opioids, um, it basically works off these opioid receptors in the brain. And what's interesting is the brain automatically produces a natural opiate in the brain and it's on this pleasure pathway. Um, so we have the ability to naturally create this when we experience things like, for example, like, um, like getting to eat food that we really, really, um, when we're really hungry or like, um, or like kissing somebody that we've liked for a long time, for example, we okay. have the ability basically to work off these opioids regardless. It's just obviously the nat the opioids, um, in the outside world, like heroin are far more addictive. Okay. Um, and the most important thing to know about um, the, the pleasure pathway in the brain is that um, it's not the actual substance or it's not the actual opioid release that matters. What, what produces the highest uh, response in the brain on the pleasure pathway is actually the anticipation. So okay. it's not the actual, um, it's right before you take um, like your first drink or, uh, or, or like a heroin hit or like um or again eating food it's the anticipation of it that has the highest release as opposed to the actual substance itself um okay. and this is also important to know in relation to addiction so um where stress comes in is basically stress uh stress pushes you towards a drug obviously that can be understood on yeah. the like the visual level so when you're stressed you want to relieve the stress because what um these addictive substances do is they blunt pain or yeah. they blunt your idea of this subjective uh pain which again is on that pleasure pathway as well but what what people might not know is what it basically makes an addictive drug more addictive that's what stress does it has an effect again i'm not going to talk about the neurochemistry because yeah. it's too complicated but basically it does something to the receptors and the neurotransmitters of, that, of those opioids basically to make it more addictive so that's why stress is particularly important that it's not just um like people take drugs recreationally that aren't stressed or they're not doing it because of stress, but it's particularly more dangerous when you take it because of stress, because it makes the substance more addictive. Okay. Um, and just on a basic level, like what happens when we take addictive substances is it starts off as a want. You, you just, after you take it for the first time and you have a good experience, you just want to take the drug because what's happening there is because you're getting the reward from the drug, that high dopamine hit. But after a period of time where you continuously take it, it goes from wanting to needing it because what happens is as opposed to just wanting the dopamine high, your dopamine levels then continuously drop below baseline. And so uh, it's not about wanting the high anymore. It's just about wanting to get at least back, back to the to baseline. Normal. And okay. so the want for the drug then turns to a need. And that's how addiction works. But um, what happens is this ties in closely with the stress response then because um, there's a major increase in the CRH release, which is responsible, which ties in with stress. Okay. Um, and then this is why, like, it's particularly detrimental to take um, addictive substances when you're stressed as opposed to just taking them recreationally. That's, okay. That because the stress response enhances the addictive nature of the drugs because the stress response leads to that drop 
like the stress response in combination with the drug, just really high level, obviously, uh, leads to that continual drop in dopamine levels below your baseline and therefore requires you to constantly chase the drug to get you back to that level, which in turn, you know, leads to you being addicted to it in mo- even more so. So basically the stress response exacerbates the want and need for that drug. Yes, exactly. Okay. And that's why everybody who takes addictive substances doesn't get addicted. Um, because okay. they're not taking it at the time of when the stress response makes them vulnerable to the addiction. If okay, so like it, it, when you say that, do you mean people taking some uh, drugs fra- in a medical capacity? Yeah, that would be another example. Um, okay. But also, like, what I'm primarily thinking of is, like, you know, college students, for example, taking drugs gotcha. or, or drinking. Um, they're not doing it because it's stress. They're doing it because they want to have a good time. And, and yeah. that doesn't say they can't get addicted. Of course, they can, particularly in highly addictive substances like heroin. But, um, but if they are stressed and they're taking drugs or alcohol because they're stressed, that then increases the... Uh, addictive um, nature of it. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, just so naturally, you can take the you can take the drugs or the alcohol or whatever it is, and not instantly become addicted because you're just doing it, as you said, to enhance or have a good time rather than respond to a stressful experience and numb the experience. But just by consuming it, naturally puts you at a higher risk of potentially, you know, taking it while you're stressed and leading to that thing. But it's just to be aware of that people know that combining an addictive substance with a stress response is probably why people often say, look, if you're stressed, try not to just resort to going for a drink because it's not, you know, when people say, look, try not to just kind of, of course, we all like to go for a drink, but if you are really having a stressful time work, don't maybe, even if you think it's not a big deal, turn to going to the alcohol in response to the stress because that can lead to, you know, more serious um, issues. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. And then, I mean, on the eating disorder side, is, is there anything in regards to that and how that's connected to stress? So, um, it's the same thing, uh, again, in relation to like it, when we were doing the child development thing, we talked about how the thrifty metabolism that maybe when a parent isn't taking, if they're highly stressed or if they're not taking in enough, uh, nutrition, that metabolism is then passed on to the, um, to the child and then the child basically has a thrifty metabolism as well where it doesn't need to consume as much that would be a genetic vulnerability um that could impact the child developing eating disorders if they're in a stressful environment but Mm. in relation to it's it's uh the relationship between stress and um and eating it goes both ways first thing i'll say is somebody is going to be more likely to develop an eating disorder if they have a high stress response when they're eating. That's because what they're thinking about is influencing their stress response. So, for example, I shouldn't be eating this because I want to look like this or I want to um, lose this much weight. Um, If there's a high stress response, that's going to decrease the likelihood that they're going to continue eating uh, that food and then that basically increases their risk of developing an eating disorder. And then it goes the other way as well. If you're constantly emotional eating, so that is an emotional regulation strategy. I'm feeling stressed right now, so I need to eat loads of food, um, unhealthy food. Um, because what happens there if you do it for a continuous amount of time is it develops this uh, risk of um, binge eating disorder or, or yeah. else possibly uh, bulimia. 
um, whereby they're basically eating as much as they can and then trying to get sick. Um, so this is why it's important that when faced with stress, we can't avoid stress. But when faced with stress, we need to learn healthy emotion regulation strategies and healthy coping strategies to be able to deal with um, any stress that we do have to f- deal with. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So I mean, to kind of like, you know, summarize this little bit on stress management, you know, obviously we've talked about it in certain scenarios. We've talked about exercise. We've talked about um, some of that, um, you know, the social kind of group and how that's beneficial, how your um, engagement with society and how you treat other people is beneficial. We've seen how it kind of relates to certain kind of common um coping mechanisms for stress what like if you're to give people maybe like three or four tips like kind of high level something that people a takeaway points in relation to their own stress management what would they be to kind of summarize a lot of that um five ways of well-being cancels out the majority of them Mm. um and basically oh i forgot to mention one important aspect actually um is is optimism um okay there's, there's actually two more i want to mention um which are very very no they're actually kind of related one is optimism um if you have the perception that things are always going to get worse um this kind of ties in with this predictability it's like the opposite it's a predictability that things are going to get worse um that means your stress response is going to uh, change in accordance to that in relation to your stress response is going to get more active anytime something seems to get worse um that's important um so you want to be more optimistic and then this ties in interestingly the research has consistently shown this and i know some people are going to find this controversial but um what seems to have a consistent positive effect it's only small but so are the majority of stuff i've i've mentioned today um is religion and this effect seems to exist even when you um account for the social support that religion aids so obviously like going to mass and stuff if you're catholic for or well any religion um you have that social support so they've done studies where they've take where they've basically varied in uh social support and taken it out as a contributor and religion still seems to be beneficial um so it's better is, like for your stress response if you have a religion than if you don't. And this isn't confirmed by research, but a possible explanation to this is essentially this idea that um, there's a higher power and that when something wrong happens, there's an explanation to it. Mm. So it basically gives this predictability in that... Um, like when something bad happens, like everything happens for a reason or there's a reason, or maybe like if you have a child who's going through a sickness, um, the explanation is that God is testing you, for example. Um, this has been found to be beneficial. Um wow. and so yeah, it ties in again with that predictability. So Yeah, that's <laughs> a very interesting and I'm sure at some point controversial theory. I mean, is there much is there continual research on that side of things? Obviously in a society where Religion is probably, in general circumstances, but I mean, obviously, depending on the religious um, denomination that someone is a part of, it's growing in some aspects, but in a lot of cases, globally, religion is becoming less and less of an important aspect of people's lives. Um, You know, is there anything that 
replaces religion if you take religion out or is it solely done on religious practice um you, you, you see the complication with this is there's a lot more research going into spirituality so like religiosity and spirituality are two different things so spirituality would be like more individualized expressive and emotional but religiosity okay. for example is more like into uh, institutionalized and authoritarian um so yeah i would say there's more research going into spirituality and there's less going into religiosity but they're two different things um the two leading researchers are called sloan and Torreson. um these two basically completely disagree with each other but they're doing it in a professional manner uh okay. whereby i think it's Torreson completely believes that religion is a really important aspect for stress management um, and mortality rates while Sloan thinks it's there's no point to research in it that it's not beneficial but um but they have both agreed on this idea that it does seem to be somewhat beneficial but where they disagree is that is it worth is this small benefit worth researching more should we be looking at things that have bigger effects wow interesting that is a very interesting one i mean it makes sense it's the idea of as you said everything happens for a reason which can then lead to at least some form of an explanation for negative things happening in your life, which then reduces the stress that you actually experience. So in theory, it seems to make sense. Um, it would be interesting to know, yeah, how that research goes, but it's, it, it, it is not one that I, I was kind of aware of. So is there anything else outside of that optimism, religion? We talked about... So No, I'd, I'd be able to break it on. So I'd say the five ways of well-being. I'd say optimism. Yeah. Um... I'd say optimism and I would say control and predictability. Um, and ironically, I'm going to sound like some crazy religious person, but that serenity prayer, I think, explains the control and predictability thing really w well. Um, do you know the one where it's uh, give me the uh, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference? I've never um, Really? Yeah. Um, so it's by the uh, American theologian uh reinhold nerber i don't know how i pronounce that well <laughs> okay. but no 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 but he, he's a very known uh he's a very well-known philosopher um like most philosophy students would study about him okay um it's what we did in the in the anger management program i used to work at as well obviously the religious aspect was taken out but um the message behind that is so so important i think in relation to stress management that if you can accept the things you can't change rather than constantly trying to put up a fight and trying to control everything because you can't control everything. If you can have the courage to change the things, you can because sometimes it takes like a lot of strength to try and completely manage the things you can control, such as your thoughts and your behaviours and then mm. the wisdom to know the difference. And that's what comes with life experience, I think, because from a young age, you think you can control everything, but as time goes on, you realise you can't and that is the development of wisdom. Um... And I think that's a really, really important message for people in relation to stress management um, is being able to differentiate between those three things. Wow, that's deep. Uh, interesting, though. I quite like that, how it breaks it down in a kind of a concise manner. Um, but I actually, yeah, ironically, I've never heard I've never heard that prayer. But um, but so then to kind of summarize, obviously, this is the fifth and last episode in this kind of series, obviously not in our season two, but in the stress topics that we've been covering like what would you kind of say is the overall kind of summary points of all those discussions we've obviously gone into the kind of biological implications of um chronic stress and how that in, um, manifests itself in the body 
We've looked at how it kind of impact child development and then how stress during pregnancy leads to that um, issues in child development. We've gone and covered sexual health. And I think that's a very interesting one, particularly for younger people um, in their kind of late teens, early 20s, that kind of age when you're starting to kind of, you know, become more sexually active. Um, I think it is very relevant for people to be aware of and how that plays a part. And then finally, in the last couple, we've talked more about how it's tied to mental health specifically and then how to kind of manage that. Overall, what do you think you'd like people to take away? Obviously, this is a different style of conversation than we've had before, Christy, but like, what would you think is the most important thing? Because we obviously actively took this decision to focus on stress. Um, what do you want people to kind of take away from listening to all these things? Um, and why maybe, why do we pick stress? Why do you think stress is a good topic to even kind of go into? Because, as I mentioned before, stress is what makes psychology and mental health real. Um, it's what we can objectively measure. So it objectively validates uh, any mental illness and any mental health issue that we all have mental health. Uh, we all have stress and we have to learn how to manage it better um, in relation to take home message. Um, stress is okay stress is not a bad thing we need stress in our life but it's about finding that optimum level of stress because as we've discussed throughout the last few podcasts if that stress response is chronic it's so dangerous to so many aspects it increases the risk of cardiovascular disease it reduces it suppresses your immune system it increases the risk of diabetes it means you can uh, become ob obese or overweight it is a negative impact on your mental health, leading to increases of depression or anxiety. And um, and it has an impact on your children as well, particularly when you're pregnant. And it also has an impact on your sexual health. So I think we've done a good job in emphasizing that you don't want to be chronically stressed. Mm. Um, and then we've discussed what you can do, um, what society can do on a on a more um, global level and also what you can do more on an individual level yeah no i think i think i think that's a great way to end i think it is reassuring for people that you know sometimes mental health can be a little bit of a a black hole of like information and statistics and you know as you said there's never a perfect answer to every single mental illness or mental health issue and it's always going to be certain certain people react in certain ways but i think what's nice is we can all relate that we all experience stress and the fact that it is easier to measure and more objective um to kind of you know monitor the fact that there are practical ways that people can reduce stress that can then potentially lead to a healthier mind and less mental illness i think is something that could be reassuring for people that there's something they can at least feel understand and then address that makes them under um, feel like they are addressing their own mental health so i think that's good so I mean that's that's it for this kind of series in relation to stress. Um, we will be back um in season three with kind of a new topic. We might kind of continue with this kind of specific theme for a whole a series of conversations. Um, if anyone has any feedback or um ideas around how you felt this particular kind of theme went and how when we focus on one area of mental health um, if you thought it was beneficial rather than kind of jumping between topics and um, as always all that research and all that content that we mention will be in the show notes 
and uh, we will be back at some point um, we'll kind of uh, keep in contact on our social media let us know kind of some of your ideas there's always really good helpful tips and tricks there and if you have any questions feel free to reach out to us um, we're always there to kind of help um, answer any questions so that's it for me I'm assuming that's it from Christian unless he has some sort of mind-blowing stat or something to bring to us but um, besides that I'd like to thank everyone and we'll be back soon and remember mind yourselves mm-hmm.